Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McManaman. This week, Sean and I are discussing capacity planning, or maybe why it should be called planning capacity. But with that, let's go ahead and start the show. Sean, uh, welcome back. Today, I think we are going to try to focus on capacity planning. We're kind of stepping away from quality a little bit, and we wanted to talk about how you deal with um, capacity and planning within your environment. Um, You know, and I think capacity planning is done in any sort of manufacturing, uh, delivery, retail, service type activity. Um, but I think most of our discussion is going to float towards uh, job shop uh, type environment as opposed to uh, a batch environment uh, just due to the fact that um, I think there needs to be more focus or more expansion on how capacity planning can be done in that type of environment. I mean, we can touch on standard product for a second, but I think the I think the the, the topic of flow and how it flows um, is relatively straightforward from a capacity standing planning standpoint in a standard product environment. Right. You can really pull in. You can really pull in the um, quality tools and metrics and and capacity limits and and all those all those um, you know quality aspects of a large volume of standard products when, when you have that standard product what we need to do is take that information because that's what you get when you go to class and you, you talk to most people everything goes back to you know a high volume high flow product you got to take that information and how do you massage it manipulate it? to manage a job shop atmosphere. Right. So one of the things we were talking about was, you know, the difference between the two words. So I think we ought to add a little bit of definition here, making sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. When we're talking about planning, we're talking about what needs to get done and how you're going, how you're planning on getting that work done. Yeah. If you, if you think about the two words, capacity planning is good, but together, but I don't think people separate them to understand what that really means Mm -hmm. because they do mean two different things. Capacity is what you have now. Planning is what you need. Right. Okay. I I think of the planning part, it should be, it should be planning capacity. Yeah. The order is the order. It's it's in. Yeah. Yeah. Planning. Because when you, when you've got to get a product out and we're talking about, um, the best of all worlds is is sales is selling, and then there's a customer draw. So you're again, you're, we're not talking about fabricating a million widgets at a time. We're we're, we're fabricating something for a customer, or building, putting together something for a customer. So there's a, there's a little bit of heads up what has to be done. So the planning part is understanding what has to be done. Now you're not only going to get one order. For one customer, right? You've got a whole sales team. You've got multiple orders. This is where, where the tools and the understanding of of a whole system has to come into play because it's the interaction of your of your capacity, whatever you've set, to manage what's being planned sometime in the future. So, so understanding that planning and 
allocating resources to get that job done is a lot easier if you've got time to to schedule those resources because up until they work on the project you're planning now, they're working on a different project and a different plan for another customer. So, right? so you've got to lay that over. You've got to lay that over. You know your needs. You got to lay the capacity and the, and the uh, resources that you have over the needs that you have over time. Right. So when we talk about capacity, we're talking about both people and machines. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, you, people don't think that uh, machine capacity is the biggest choke point, but in some cases, in some cases, it is. And, and the more mature you are in your industry. Um, that's most likely the case that right. is the most limiting factor. Well, I think I think it moves definitely depending on where you're at in your in your organization as far as you know business excellence goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a very young organization, I think people are probably your biggest constraint, biggest choke sure. point. I think as you start to organize the environment and as people start to understand what role they play in in ensuring that you know, the, the process is getting better, then it starts to turn into uh, machines starting right. to be your, your, your choke point or your constraint. Yeah. So I, I think it does move around. And, and again, it also depends on, uh, on your environment as far as what type of product and or service you're supplying. If, you know, if you're, you're one end of the extreme would be the, like you mentioned a second ago, the, the widget manufacturer where he's definitely got stuff flowing I would say that machines is probably more of your choke point in that type of environment. Whereas when you're a job shop or you're supplying a service, uh, you know, definitely people are your first area that you're focused on a lot of times. Now I know the easier area to probably focus on is still machines, even in both areas. But I think people are, are a key part of that process. Well, I, I think, I think the cost of people is so, prevalent in in management's mind that's why i think they focus on people if that yeah. person's not working i'm paying them for not working that's not the way to look at it yeah it's not the way to look at it the way the way i like to look at these things are to find out what the the, the constriction is what the restriction is and and optimize that and then best utilize the other assets the other resources that you have um in the process and you know what? In some cases, in some cases, if if it's not doing their part of the job, if if say employee one can get four things done, when employee two and his or her machine can get only one thing done, it's not necessarily good that that employee one gets four things done in the hour, when when you know the next step in the process can only get one thing done in the hour. Right. right? So so if if one through the process. Each hour is what your capacity is. Then you have to look at: Do we need higher capacity? Do we need more machines? You know how 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 does this support what the sales team needs to do in order to achieve the revenue that's expected and planned out? Right. So I think that I like your your thought process of switching those two words around and mm-hmm. saying planning first, then capacity. So if we Talk about the planning part first. One of the things I think is very important to managing and handling the planning side of things is figuring out how to get that planning addressed as far up 
in the front of the business as possible. I mean, even I think even back when you're doing RFQs, there needs to be a way to start figuring out what your outlook is going to to be and what your needs are going to be during the quoting process. Mm-hmm. You know, once it turns into an order, I think that you then have to definitely figure out how to refine your plan from there, ensuring that, you know, your plan is still going to work and, and ensure that it's going to be able to go through your processes the way it needs to. You, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about now is the environment that I'm in is, is very much in tune with what you're saying. How do you, how do you get even in the quote stage an idea of what's going to happen? Well, in a, in a rental business, if you're renting, if you're renting equipment out, you have an idea when equipment's coming back. You have an idea what has to be done when that, that equipment comes back, and then you can line that up with the resources that are expected to be complete, or at least at a stage that they can that they can you can move resources to a new a new piece of equipment at that given time. I, I think one of the other one of the other areas I just wanted to touch on when management looks at capacity planning and resources. When you look at people, I think people are in most cases thought of as an infinite resource. If I've got, if I've got somebody, if I've got somebody that's a welder over here, well, you know what? I can use them turning a wrench over here. Okay. And that might be the case. No, the question is, can you manage it well enough that when some more welding work comes up in your plan, if you're planning, if you're planning well, then you can, you will know when all the welding work is going to come up and you can, you can have that person turning a wrench for the specific time that he's not supposed to be welding. But what I've seen is, well, now I've got a new welding job. Well, our welder number one is over here turning a wrench and he won't be done for another two days on that. Well, then the question comes in and you're, you're now capacity planning by the moment because you, you have to sit there and say, well, should we leave him turning a wrench for two days and finish that job? Do we bring somebody else in to turn the wrench and then move that guy back? And it's very disruptive to plan that close to the actual work time. Yeah. You know, I think the, I think the part that I'm realizing, especially in our environment, is the lack of clarity of what it takes to build one of our products. Um, I think that that's one of the, the missing pieces that a lot of companies have is how do you take something that you're either quoting or about to sell and make sure that you understand the amount of work that's involved in getting that item done. And I think the only way to do that, especially if you're building something that's complicated, is figuring out how to break it down into chunks that can actually mean something, and then taking those chunks and figuring out when they're going to land in time and how much, how much work is involved in each of those chunks. Now, I don't know how big those chunks necessarily are, and they're going to be different for lots of different people depending on, what again, what you're manufacturing, but I think that's one of the realizations that I'm coming to, especially in our environment, being a, a job shop uh, where, where we're building one-off or unique items all the time. And what tends to happen is is we just kind of figure it out as we get there. You know, right now we're just we just figure it out when we get to the point and 
in most cases, it's it's making us late, or you know, we're shortcutting processes, or something like that. Right, and I think there's so many moving moving parts that that it has to be thought of well ahead uh, of of the sales process. Even when now, when you talk about planning, you need you really need to get back into like the strategy section of planning. All right. What is our strategy on delivering a a product to the customer? And so when you're estimating it, you know, I would be a little, I would be a little worried if I were, if I were coming in and I, and I heard you say that, I would say, well, well, your people have to estimate it. Mm-hmm. And how are they estimating it? Is it, is it a, you know, a one lump, one lump and we figure it out and, and hopefully, hopefully, and hope is not a strategy. Uh, <laughs> I, I need to, I need to find out who, who originally said that because. So I we can give them credit. <laughs> exactly. I have to give them credit. Um, but uh, I was at a manager's meeting last uh, a week and a half ago, and, and I said it, and everybody loved it. I'm surprised people haven't heard it already. But you, you know, when you're with a bunch of managers and they say, "Well, we hope to do this, we hope to do that," that's a flag in my mind right away. Right? You can't, you can't be you can't be in a management meeting hoping something happens. What are you doing to cause something to happen? Anyway, we digress a little bit. So, so. Well, so I was going to add something to that, though. Touching on the human side of this, how do you get an environment that is not used to putting in a great deal of planning up front to start getting them to recognize the need for planning and to realize that they, if they would invest some of that time up front, that it would most likely do them some good on the backside? You know, and of course, it's you, you, you know what you, you, you don't see what you don't see, and you just, you know, chalk up any issues you have later on to, well, we just didn't do enough, job, enough of a good job during the process, as opposed to investing the right amount of time at the front end of the business, which could expand it at the front, but hopefully it reduces it on the back a little bit. But how do you get people to, to realize you need to put some of that work up in front? Well, I, you, you go back to you know the quality system that you have, and and I would I would never say anything deviates from the quality system because I think you can always bring it back there. Yeah. If you if you the quality system, and then the next step that I want to talk about is is um, leading indicators and lagging indicators. I think the best way, or at least I would go down the path with you on this, is that a lagging indicator is I'm late, I've overrun the budget. And I've got more scope than I thought. Okay, right. so what do you do? You do a root cause analysis. You understand why were you late? Why did you run out of money? And uh, you know why was there more scope? And if you walk that back, if you walk that back to the absolute root cause, you can come up with a leading indicator, a leading indicator of that effect that happened at the end of the job being planning. Right. And, and, and planning now, I'm talking about it in a broad sense, it's not only planning how things are being built, but it's got to be planning how things are, are chunked out so that they're estimated well, that they're scheduled, and it all meets the requirements of the customer. Right. You know, because that's, that's where I, I do believe, you know, I go back to the gap, the gap between sales and, and operations. Um, that, that, that sales application person Somewhere before actually signing a, a contract, signing an order, you better be darn well sure you understand what that customer wants and when he, when he or she wants it. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Now I understand that there's details and, and, you know, weld symbols and, and so, you know, things that, that engineering has to, has to put into a drawing that gets fabricated by a, a shop. But the thing is the understanding of how much weld there is, what type of weld it is, that has to be, that has to be calculated in an estimate. If it's calculated in an estimate, there's also a number of hours and, and amount of material associated with it. Now, how deep do you want to go in that planning, especially, you know, in the front end of the business? That's one thing. You, you know, you can also aggregate these things up. You can aggregate them and then break them down for the people that need them at a, at a certain level. But you're right that that work has to be done up front by the different areas of the organization so that everybody is happy with what they understand the baton is that's being passed to them. I can't, I can't help but think that a, a check sheet or a checklist or a, a guiding document can't help uh, or would help in, in, in this process in that the more detail you make it, I think the better off you, you would be, but figuring out a, a simple checklist. So one end of that bookend would be a checklist could be, uh, did we have something in history? Yes. Did it, was it kind of like it? Yes. How much did it cost? Yes. Or this much. Add some margin to that and go. So that's that's way at one end of the bookend. That's pretty sloppy there. <laughs> that's right. pretty sloppy. The other end would be having a, a detailed out uh, document that helps guide somebody all the way through on a very specific product. So you should know the array of products that you sell or services that you supply or whatever it is you're doing. You should know the details. Everybody knows the details. But getting that information into a document that then people could use to, f- to follow and formulate a strategy and build up something that allows them not to forget about anything or ask the question or ensure the customer understands, yada, 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 as to what it's going to take to do something. And I, I can't help but think that investment in something like that would, one, help your salespeople communicate with the customer, help your salesperson hand off the information to operations, and it would give that central document uh, uh, something that could flow through the business, even out onto the production floor, uh, showing you know what they're actually going to do. And then you could even use that document as a feedback loop type document, where if something deviated, that document then is reused back up in the front end of the business and tweaked if needed based on what the shop just did. And if you wind up, so I hear people say this all the time, and it's not just my environment or, or previous environments, but I hear people say this, but we've got so many different arrays. Okay, then you're going to have a lot of different documents to help support it. I get it. If you're going to sell a thousand products, then you got to manage a thousand products. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> figure out figure figure out how to reduce the number of products if you don't like selling that many products. <laughs> well, and that's where I was. I'm being somewhat sarcastic there, but <laughs> yeah, I was, I was. But I guess what I was going to say is, what are the arguments against what you know you and I have been saying here about you know planning and building a, a an infrastructure that you can ride on? I I, I 
try to go with analogies and hopefully analogies that work. You know, it's it's building the, the, the train tracks. You can put any kind of train once you build the train tracks. So if you know what the process is, okay, and you build the tracks to support whatever train you're going to put on that track, everybody's going to have an easier job. Right. It's going to be an easier job. Okay. Now, the arguments you're going to get about having a detailed document and, and information flow from the beginning to the end is the sales team says, well, heck, we bid 300 jobs, a job a day, and we only get 50 jobs. Okay. okay? So, so wait a minute. Now, so let's dive deep into that topic because that annoys me when they say that because – okay, okay. I'll let you go. I'll let you go ahead and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my head's going to burst. I agree because there's got to be – there's got to be a better way of of having a a method to increase your 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 kill rate. You know, are you going after every job? And if you're going after every job just to go after every job, then then that's then that's a strategy that I would question. Um, but you know what? Maybe those things are for a different a different topic altogether. My my only thing my only thing to add to that is by stating. The fact that, well, if we only win one out of ten and your answer is to swing the pendulum and not do any sort of upfront planning, that is a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is – the Concisely putting it, that's a mistake and, and everybody listening could understand completely why that would be a mistake. I would hope so. <laughs> the, other, the other area that I was going to um, comment on, not only the you know, arguments you would get from the people involved, but, but that's just the thing. Everybody's got a day job. So how do you, and you started with this question, how do you convince someone to do upfront planning? All right. You, you, you kind of need someone like yourself in an organization, someone like me in an organization that, that knows it's got to be done, but you cannot do it in such a big chunk where you say we're changing the whole process. Right. That you won't to, work. You have to incrementally change the process, but... Now, on your part and on my part, there's a lot of planning involved. We're going to use this word planning to death. And how do you how do you methodically go about changing the process so you can see the end result being what you would like to have done with a snap of your fingers? Right. Okay. So that's to me that's the that's the only answer in a small organization. I'll say you know we're both operating in a small organization now. You need to you need to incrementally take those steps. To have that process changed so that at the end everybody buys in because they're used to they're used to these steps to get to a greater good. Right, and I think that in, in uh, some of the bullet points we had here, that's really the iterative process you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're, 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 go ahead. All right. I'll say it's an iterative process. It's an iterative process once you get a process. In place. Yes. If you are trying to change the process and there is convincing people along the way of, of doing things differently, you have to you have to manage the process so that it is not painful and not very far outside of their their normal work activity. I'm not saying do anything where people don't don't know that they're changing. I think I think giving giving the people the information on what the end result is, but in making in making incremental changes so that their daily their daily grind is not much more of a grind than what they think they have to do. Right. Right? You know, people don't want their cheese moved. 
<laughs> reference to a book. <laughs> exactly. Right. They don't want their cheese moved. So, so, and, and you're going to have, you're going to have people at different levels, people that will buy into change, people that won't buy into change at all. And people that you have to convince. We, we know that these things happen from psychology and everything that we read. Right. So managing, managing the change and managing the people within that change is what has to be planned out by the, the quality person, the leader of the leader of that area of the organization. So I think we've, we've touched on what I would consider the more important uh, part of the two words, you know, capacity and planning. Planning is definitely the bigger part of this, the area that people should tackle and, and address first. But on the capacity side, um, you know, I think that that we need to make sure that people are addressing things like flexibility, how do you expand and contract your environment and things like that. You know, is there anything you want to touch on on capacity? Yeah, capacity, when you talk about both people and equipment, there is there is a finite number that you can assign to that that capacity at any given time okay yeah so even even with the flexibility of people being able to turn a wrench or a weld okay you you can you can only have so many hours in a day that 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 there's throughput right okay so understanding understanding that level of of capable throughput is a key part of of managing the capacity of the organization and and the costs associated with it. So one thing that I think about is is you know somebody might is if they understand what the forecast is and what the workflow needs to be for a given amount of sales expected. Okay, you can set the capacity. You can set the capacity less than what you think you need because you've got an outlet that you that you can subcontract to. Yep. And you want to and you want to hedge on the on that that cost part that if if your if your forecast has a higher probability of falling short, maybe you want to maybe you want to shorten up that capacity that you have, but you have an outlet of subcontracting. Right. Think the thing that you have to worry about there is that that could be a risky move because the subcontractor might not have the capacity when you need it. Or you get into other areas that might be affecting quality and all those kinds of things, possibly. And there's and there's costs associated. And there's with costs that. associated with that. You're right. Okay. So look at it from the other side. So say you say you have a forecast where it would drive a capacity of one, and you maintain a capacity of one point one five. So you've got fifteen percent more allocated capacity than you need. Well, if 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 the probability of sales goes up. Okay, you're covered up to a certain level. If it if it stays where you expected it or is slightly lower, well then man, the management team has to understand that that 15% extra capacity is a cost that we're going to carry because we want to be prepared for the upside. Right. Okay. I'm not saying that that's the way you you have to operate, but you're saying that's an option though. Yeah, but yeah, and, and the thing is, you have to understand it and. One of the things that that I've seen in the past is that you set you set a, a sales forecast, you build your capacity to support that forecast. The actual load is less than what the forecast was, and now you're you're running with with an underutilized group of of resources. Right. And 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 management and management says, well, heck, that's cost we shouldn't that we shouldn't have. Okay. 
you have to go back and explain or obviously the person didn't understand what the plan was to get things through this company. And when one part of that stool, when one leg is not as long as the other legs, well, the stool's going to rock. What do you do with that extra capacity? Right. And, and in, in most cases, I would say 95 or higher percent of the organizations that I've ever associated with, you cannot add and subtract capacity on a, on a weekly basis. Right. Unless you're subcontracting. That's right? right. You can't, you can't, you can't lay off and bring back people on a weekly basis. You, that, that won't last for very long. That'll hurt you in the long run. It'll hurt you in the long run. Yeah. Um, you know, and to me, the best the best thing there is if equipment is your is your limiting factor. Shutting down equipment is is a, a to me it's a, it can be a lower cost. You know, it all depends on what the organization is and how much new equipment you have and what your capacity needs to be for the rest of the year if you've got a quarter that's short, you know? So shutting down a piece of equipment might be the best way to to have capacity lowered when your sales isn't where it's expected to be. So if, if we had to kind of summarize uh, what we've talked about here, in, in my opinion, it seems like the effort – needs to be put forth on the planning side first and kind of work your way through the process to kind of address both the planning and the capacity side of things. But the but the more effort you put into the planning aspect, I think, is where it's going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. How would you summarize what we talked about? Uh, exactly. And you, you, have to, you have to do the planning part in order to set the capacity. Yeah. Right? Just, just think about it. You have to have an idea of what you need to get out in order to buy equipment and hire people. If I hire one person, but I plan on selling you know, $10 million worth of, of goods that would take 100 people to do, okay, that you've got to, you've got to come, some, come to some baseline of capacity for the expected sales. Right. All right? To me, that's, that's the bottom line. How you manage those resources from period to period, whatever period you need to manage them in, you know, that's, that is a, a, an exercise in numbers. It's in numbers and skills. Yep. So why don't we go ahead and move on into the picks this week? What, uh, what's your pick this week? All right. My pick this week is uh, part of my, one of my hobbies, one of my hobbies, uh, that being photography and I like Taking pictures, and, and now that I live in Northern California, there's uh, a lot of mountains and the bay and the ocean to take pictures of, and Golden Gate Bridge and all that stuff. Very cool. And I'm coming from an old DSLR line, so uh, I shoot Canon for the most part. But moving, I haven't moved yet, but boy, a lot of people that I listen to and, and, and cameras that I've messed with, <laughs> uh, these mirrorless, mirrorless micro four thirds uh, cameras are very cool, very robust, and take great pictures. Wow. So, so that's, that, that, that's um, what I am saying is a, is a pick in that I wouldn't get rid of my DSLR, but the, the new wave of things to come could be this uh, mirrorless technology. So you're doing some research then, I would say. And then that's the fun part. After yeah. I buy it, it won't be as much fun anymore, except for the taking the pictures part. Yeah. <laughs> So my pick this week is, and I'm, and I'm continuing on with the the net the Netflix theme. Uh, you know, last week I picked a, a Netflix show, and 
and I started uh, binge watching on a new show, or actually not a new show. It's actually the second season, uh, but Daredevil. So I, you know, I'm a huge Marvel fan. Uh, you know, I uh, I love watching the the Marvel universe um all the shows that have come out i still have all my comics and stuff but uh daredevil is out right now and i'm really enjoying it so there's a a little bit of uh nerd coming out in me there you know so so sean this was a uh, very interesting and good topic and i really enjoyed it and um uh we will move on to our next topic next week uh thank you and we will talk to you all later I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man vs. Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit Sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And also you can drop us a line on the message page from there. Again, Thank you and enjoy your week.